We are continuing our study through the book of Acts. If you haven't been here with us, we've been in the book of Acts for about two months now. And we've talked a lot about kind of the setup of Acts, about how God has commissioned the disciples uh, to take the gospel out to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit has come and guided them and aided them in this process. Um, the disciples now fully understand and know that the gospel isn't just for the Jews, but it's also for the Gentiles as well. And so all that was kind of a setup for where we're going to land today, where we start to get into the missionary journeys of the gospel and of the books, uh, book of Acts. And so I'm excited about today. I hope y'all are as well. We are going to be in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Can we go ahead and stand up together as we read the word of God? Acts chapter 13, verse 2. This is what it says. It says, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you, God, that you do not leave us alone in our endeavors, but in, at the same time that you call us to be ambassadors for Christ, you give us the gift of the Spirit to aid us in that mission. And so, God, I pray, Lord, that as we listen to your Spirit and as we listen to your Word, God, that you would speak to us, that you would humble us, and that you would encourage us on what you have for us. That we might, as a church, as First Baptist Azel, uh, set our minds on what the early church set their minds on. That people might get saved in the same way, and that we might see the church grow in your name glorified. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all can have a seat. Well, we are getting into uh, one of the first missionary journeys of uh, Paul today. Paul mentioned Saul earlier. <coughs> mentioned Saul, better known as Paul uh, throughout the rest of the Testament, uh, but they're about to go on a missionary journey. How many of y'all have been on a mission trip before? Okay. I've been on about two dozen uh, mission trips in my lifetime, about half of those were with students. And let me tell you this, if you go on a mission trip, you will have stories to tell. Like you want to add some excitement to your life, go on a mission trip. One of my favorite stories is the first time I went over to the Philippines. We have a, a sister plant church that we have over there called First Faith Baptist. And we go over there from time to time and uh, just help encourage the church and help, um, help them uh, reach their community for the gospel and for Christ. And the first time I went over there was quite an experience because in the Philippines, I don't know if y'all know this, my complexion is a little bit lighter than most of the Philippines' complexion uh, to the point that if you go over there and you are white and you have a beard, everyone stares at you. Like, that's just what happens. Like, you go through the mall, and everyone's looking at you. People are taking pictures of you. Like, I tried to not let it go to my head, but, you know, it's hard. And so, we were in the Philippines, and I remember there was this one time, we were setting up for a revival uh, in their local gymnasium amphitheater, and there were a bunch of kids running around, and the kids just kept looking at me and laughing, uh, which is not out of the norm. But uh, these were looking at me, laughing at me, and this little girl comes up to me, Sweetest little girl, probably like seven, I don't know. Uh, and she like is looking at me. She doesn't say where. She says, um, she has me lean down and, and she uh, asks me, she's like, what's your name? And I'm like, Chris Brown. And she laughed because I'm she's like, you're not brown. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, yeah. Um, so I lean down 
And she starts just kind of feeling my beard. Again, like, you don't have a whole lot of beards in the Philippines. Uh, and so they just start feeling my beard. And I'm like, oh, cute little girl. And then she just rears back and bam, just right in the face. And amen, right? Yeah. And then she just ran off. Who knows what happened to her? I have no clue. That's the end of the story. Like, she just, she just slapped me for no reason and ran off. But things like that happen, like weird things like that happen in mission trips. And so if you want some excitement in your life, go on mission trip. Paul and Barnabas goes on their first missionary journey in today's passage. We're going to be covering from about uh, chapter 13 to 15 or so. We're not going to have a chance to get into every little detail, so go back and read on your own. But we're just going to kind of overview it. And actually, let's go and throw up a, a map right here. So for your, uh, just so y'all know, this is modern day Turkey. And so just south of this is Egypt, just to get you an idea of where this is on the map. Um, so their journey goes through about nine different cities, ranging from about six to eight months in length, and total they traveled about 1,600 miles. It starts over here on the right in Antioch, and then just makes its way through Cyprus, up through the top, and then just all the way back. Throughout this whole journey, they encounter a number of different things, like far greater stories than I can tell you are ones that they've experienced. Like the first stop on the trip, they experienced a magician called Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus, son of salvation, who is a false prophet trying to way people away from Jesus. So that was our first encounter. Then they get into encounters where people are plotting to kill them. Then they get into encounters where people mistake them for Greek gods and are trying to make sacrifices to them. And they're like, no, 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 don't sacrifice to us. And then all of a sudden they go from trying to make sacrifices to them to trying to stone them. So just lots of crazy things are happening. And man, I encourage you, go on a mission trip. Maybe you have some of those crazy stories as well. But what I noticed is, as I was reading through these accounts, some consistencies started to pop up from city to city, from town to town. Things that they did in every single city. And so what I want to do today is I want to kind of highlight their first missionary journey together and point out these principles that they held true no matter where they were. And then ask ourselves the question, us as a church, as First Baptist Azel, if we want to grow and operate the same way that the early church did, how can we apply these principles to ourselves? If God blessed the early church through what they did, how can we have God bless this church by doing the same thing? And so I want to look at their uh, missionary journey and point out to you three principles that they lived by and operated by so that we might do the same. Make sense? Make sense what we're doing? All right, let's get into it. Acts, uh, back to our passage, Acts 13, verse 2. It says this. It says, As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So this was the start of the, the missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And what does it start with? It starts with the Holy Spirit coming in to the equation and guiding them and leading them in where they need to go. Which, I don't know if you've noticed, is a major theme in the book of Acts, major theme in the New Testament, is the Holy Spirit coming into our mess and guiding them on how they want to do. The Holy Spirit coming in and saying, this is my will. This is the power that you're going to operate by. This is what I want you to do. And now, 
The crazy thing isn't necessarily that the Holy Spirit came and guided them on where to go. The crazy thing is what happened next. It says, then after they had fasted, this is verse three, after they had fasted, prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. They did the crazy thing of actually listening to the Holy Spirit, right? Like they, they, they used the, that thing of like, I'll pray about it. Like has anyone ever asked you to do something? You're like, I'll pray about it. But in reality, that's just a no, right? So they prayed about it, but it wasn't a no. It was like they were literally praying about it and then went off and did what the Holy Spirit called them to do. And that's what leads us to our first principle of Paul and Barnabas and their journey. It's they followed the Holy Spirit. They listened to and followed the Holy Spirit, even when they fully didn't understand what was going on. And again, I don't know if you've noticed, but through the book of Acts, this is a major theme in the book of Acts. This is the spotlight focus of the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit has always been part of the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. But if you know much about it, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was more of an isolated event. It wasn't every believer received the Holy Spirit, but in the Old Testament, only certain believers received the Holy Spirit, the ones who God was using to achieve his purposes. But because of Jesus' work on the cross and in the resurrection and what happened in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples, from that point on, the Holy Spirit was for every believer. The Holy Spirit was an active part of every believer. And yeah, right? And Jesus told us that this was going to happen. In John 14, 15, 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. And he says, hey, listen to this. I am going to leave you coming up. I'm going to go away. And what he's referring to is, is his death and resurrection. He's like, I'm going to go away. But in my absence, the Father is going to send to you the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit has a couple of jobs. It's going to counsel you. It's going to help you. It's going to guide you. It's going to convict you. And it's going to remind you of all the things that I've told you. Jesus went far enough to even say that it is for your benefit that I leave. Because then you receive the Holy Spirit. Have you all ever thought about that? that Jesus says is more of a benefit for him to be gone and us have the Holy Spirit than for us to not have the Holy Spirit and Jesus be literally right next to you. Because we, we talk about that before. It's like, like, we're like, oh man, I wish Jesus was with me. And Jesus is like, no, you don't. Because when I leave, you get the Spirit and the Spirit is much more useful than I will ever be to you. So we all have the Holy Spirit. And here's the crazy thing. Here's the cool thing is that the same spirit that resided in Jesus and the same spirit that resided in the apostles, the same spirit that resided in the early church is the same spirit that resides in both you and me if we have placed our faith in Christ. So all of the guidance, all of the help, all of the counsel, all of the power that the Holy Spirit gave the apostles is available to us as well. In which you might respond to that and saying, hey, Chris, they heard the Holy Spirit talking to them. I don't hear the Holy Spirit. I don't know what God wants in my life. I don't feel God in my life. I, I don't know what the plan for God is, or for, that God has for my life. And to that, I might encourage you to look at what Paul and Barnabas were doing before the Holy Spirit even spoke to them. Well, let's actually take a look. In verse 13, it says, it says, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called. What were they doing before the Holy Spirit even entered the picture? 
They were praying and they were fasting. Now, in our culture of 64-ounce Big Gulp sodas and half a dozen deep-fried tacos from Jack in the Box, we may not understand what that word fasting means. So let me explain it. It means setting aside a time where we don't eat food in order to pray to God, to worship God, and to seek out God's will for our life. Revolutionary concept, right? Our culture doesn't really do that very much. But if you were to come and tell me, hey, Chris, I don't know what the Holy Spirit has for my life. I don't know what God has for my life. I would ask you, are you setting aside a time for prayer and maybe even fasting? God forbid, fasting. Because James 4.8 says this. It says, if we draw near to God, he is faithful and just to draw near to us. And we see that right here. The reason that they were so clearly able to understand and hear the Holy Spirit is because they sat in a season of prayer and fasting, seeking out the will of God in their life. And I don't mean like a 30-second prayer right before bed. God, well, I don't know what you want to do for me. Uh, and then go sleep, fall, in a, or fall asleep praying. No, a season of prayer, fervently praying for God, day in and day out. And I promise you, if you draw near to God in that way, he's faithful and just to draw near to you. They listen to the Holy Spirit, and you see that not only in the start of their missionary journey, but in every single city they went to, it mentions that they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, that they, they followed the Holy Spirit. So that's the first principle in their missionary journey, is that they followed the Holy Spirit. So if, uh, another thing that I noticed whenever they were going through their missionary journey, again, they, go, they went through about nine different cities, and um, uh, in just about every city, they didn't give every city the same amount of time in the scripture, but any time that they gave a, any kind of significant mention of what they did in that city, it was always centered around preaching the gospel and preaching the word of God. Like, here's a few examples. So in Acts 13, 12, it says, Then when he saw what had happened, the proconsul believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Acts 13, 48, When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. Acts 14, 7, There they continued to preach the gospel. Acts 14, 21, After they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to these cities. So over and over again, we see that their spotlight focus is on the Word of God, on preaching the Word of God. And that leads us to our second principle for their missionary journey, is that they preached the Word of God. They followed the Holy Spirit, and they preached the Word of God. One of my favorite examples of this is in one of the cities that they were in. They went to the synagogue, and uh, the leaders of the synagogue turned to Paul and Barnabas and they said, hey, if you have any encouragement for us at all, can you share it with us? Like free reign to say whatever they want. And um, while Paul could have taken that opportunity to share, you know, here's five steps to become a better Christian. Here's three ways to defeat the Goliath in your life. Here's my TED talk to give you. He didn't do that. Paul started to give a long statement on the history of who God is and what he has done for his people and the gospel that's come out of it. Like he started to, to tell them, it's like God brought the Israelites out of Egypt and through the wilderness and into the promised land and built them up into a great nation. And in that great nation, they brought out uh, King David. And King David was there not to be the eternal king, but um, through David would come the uh, Messiah in his lineage. And that Messiah was Jesus. 
and he was born. And because of the life that Jesus lived and because he died a death on the cross he didn't deserve and resurrected three days later, that, um, that work now offers us salvation. And because of that salvation, we now are able to place our faith in Christ for that salvation. And it's not through the works of the law. It's not through the law of Moses. It's not through enough good works that we do. It's not from attending synagogue, but it's because of the work of Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection. And that's how we saved. That's what he took when they said, hey, give us an encouragement. That's what he said. He preached the gospel. He preached the word of God. And here's why Paul did that, because he knew that there was power in the word of God. In fact, in Ephesians chapter six, I think we have it up there. When Paul was writing to the church of Ephesus, he said this, he said, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul knew that the one offensive weapon that we have is the word of God. And so Paul going into the enemy's territory is not gonna go into the enemy's territory without his only offensive weapon, which is the word of God. Because he knew if he went on this missionary journey and stripped it of the gospel and stripped it of the word of God, he lost all power to save people. So this past Friday was um, Veterans Day. And the whole point of Veterans Day is to honor and recognize the people who served in our military or who have served in our military. And in this world of giving great honor and recognition to um, our service members, uh, up out of that arises a problem. Because anytime someone gets honor and recognition, there's people who want to take that honor and recognition who don't deserve it. And so there's people who will actually put on a facade that they serve in the military. They'll go order military uniforms and patches and medals and all these different things and go out into the public so that they can receive recognition and score with the ladies um, and uh, get discounts on food and whatnot. And this is actually a big problem. Does anyone know what it's called when they do that? Stolen valor. This stolen valor thing was actually such an issue that it became a federal crime to commit stolen valor. In fact, if you um, impersonate fraudulently that you serve in the military and that you've received a valor award in order to gain monetary gain or property or any kind of tangible gain, it is a federal crime uh, punishable by up to a year in prison. Now, here's the thing that, that's crazy about this, this concept of stolen valor is that while the person is putting on a facade that they have served in the military, they are stripping it of all the respect and all the honor and all the power that's due. In church, we can do the exact same thing. We can look like a church on the outside. We can put a facade up and we can come and we can sing songs and we can golf clap at each other and we can do all these great things. But if we abandon the word of God, if we abandon the gospel, then we are just putting on a facade and stripping the church of all of its power. And so that's why Paul focused on the word of God. That's why Paul and Barnabas preached the word of God, which by the way, through suffering, mind you, like Paul, um, uh, there's many cities which they plotted to kill Paul and Barnabas and they didn't, but there's one city where they actually tried to stone him and they stoned Paul and uh, luckily they didn't check their work. And so he's just left for dead on the side of the road, um, but he wasn't dead. 
And so he uh, got back up and continued doing his ministry through the suffering and through it all. They preached the word of God and we would do well to do the same as we continue to grow and see people get saved. So that's the, the first two uh, principles. They follow the Holy Spirit and they preach the word of God. Now, as we look in missions in the Bible, as we look at uh, their missionary journey, and as even we talk about our own missions, it's really easy to over-glorify missions. It's really easy to focus on, man, this situation happened and God came through. It's really easy to focus on, we preach the word of God here and people got saved and we helped this many people and so on and so forth. It's really easy to focus on those things. But in reality, there's a not-so-glorious side of mission work, right? Like I said, I've been on about two dozen mission trips, about half of those are with students. And again, not the most glorious time in my life. But uh, here's what happened. Uh, You get into these trips and you start to um, become sleep deprived. You start to disagree with your team members. Uh, You get stuck on a 15 hour flight in the middle seat. Has anyone ever done that? You start to get into all these times and you get into disagreements and all of a sudden this glorious looking mission trip is also kind of turning into like a not so glorious mission trip. And that's exactly what happened here with Paul and Barnabas as well. Like not everything is rainbows and sunshine. In fact, when Paul and Barnabas uh, concluded their first missionary journey and they were getting ready to start their second one, they got into a major disagreement. Let's take a look at it. This is Acts 15. It says this, um, after some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we had preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on... Uh, not gone on with them to the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. I love that this was included in scripture. I love that we got to see a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Because again, it it kind of like, it makes them human. It makes them where we can relate with them. Uh, Like Paul and Barnabas being the pioneers of the early church and missionaries for the early church, they themselves even had disagreement. Now what's important here is how they disagreed. What was the disagreement about? It was about John Mark. Just for some backstory, John Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. Uh, what happened was at the beginning of their missionary journey, they were heading to Cyprus and they got into their, I think their second city that they were doing work in. And John Mark said, I'm out. I didn't sign up for this. I'm going back home. And so John Mark went back home and uh, Paul and Barnabas kept going on. And so now it's getting time to go back through that journey. And Barnabas is saying, hey, he's a kid. Let's bring him back on here. Let's allow him to come on here. And Paul was like, I don't got time for that. He abandoned us at the beginning. He's not coming with us on the second time around. And that's what their conflict was about. Now, here's the important thing to notice about this conflict. It's not about sin. There's not sin going on here. What it was about was about methodology. Their conflict was about the decisions being made and what was the best decision to be made here. And what's important here is that they handled this decision in the most godly way possible They agreed to disagree, and they kept moving forward for their mission. And this brings us to our third principle here, is that they didn't 
let their disagreements deter from the gospel being spread. Now you might say here at this point, it's like, but didn't they separate? Didn't they separate and go their separate ways? Yeah, and that's okay. That's fine. Like, in fact, I would say it's actually for the benefit that they separated because um, at the beginning, you had one team, both Paul and Barnabas, going and going on mission together, but then they had this disagreement and they agreed to disagree and they split off into two teams, but both those teams were still doing the work of God. So instead of one team going out and spreading the mission, you had two teams going out and spreading the mission, both um, aiming for the same target. Now, here's what happened with Paul and with Barnabas, is they were able to hold two things true at once. On one hand, they were able to say, we strongly disagree with each other. We disagree on methodology and the decisions that are being made. But on the other hand, they're saying, they're still godly people. And they're still on the same team that I am. And they're still working for the gospel. Those two things can be true at the same time. And church, as we, as we start to grow, and as we continue to grow, we are gonna disagree. I promise you, we're going to disagree. Hop into our office. You might think that we agree all the time in the office among the staff. There's times that we disagree. And that's fine because we can disagree behind closed doors. But then whenever we get out, we are same team moving forward, right? And we can do that here as a church. You might disagree with someone in this room on decisions being made. But that doesn't mean that they're an ungodly person who's not aiming for the gospel. And we need to be able to hold those two things true at once, just like Paul did. We need to be able to, on one hand, say, I disagree with you on what you're choosing to do. Yet at the same time, I know that you are my brother in Christ, aiming for the gospel. And here's the crazy thing. Paul, it looks like um, we kind of read onto this passage, hostility into this, but there's no real reason for us to believe that there's hostility between these two groups of people. In fact, later on, Paul, when he's writing in his letters, he talks about how John Mark is a wonderful co-laborer in Christ. And so Paul doesn't have any hard feelings against Barnabas and against Mark. In fact, Mark went on to write the gospel on Mark. Like they both went on to do amazing, wonderful things. And what we need to do as a church is we need to lean into that and understand that we're going to disagree, but we need to be able to still lock arms together and move forward with the mission of Christ. Because what the world doesn't need to see, the world doesn't need to see um, a group of people that agree on every little thing. That's called a cult. We're not a cult. The world doesn't need to see that we agree on every little thing. What the world needs to see is a group of people who, despite their disagreements, still love each other, still care for each other, still support each other, and who are still banding together to achieve a mission and a purpose greater than themselves. And so church, as we grow, man, we're going to disagree. As a staff, we're going to make decisions that you don't agree with. You're going to make decisions that I don't agree with. And that's okay. That's okay. Short of sin, that's okay. We can agree to disagree and we can band together for the furtherment of the gospel. Church, I want to see God bless this church. I want to see God move in this church. I want to see God save people in this church. I want to see God use this church to reach the community of Azel. And here's how I think he's going to do that, is in the same way that the early church did. They followed the Holy Spirit, they preached the Word of God, and they didn't allow their disagreements to hinder the advancement of the gospel. Let me pray that we do that. Lord, I thank you, God, that you love us and that you care for us and that 
that you call us as ambassadors for your work. And so God, I pray that us as a church would band together to achieve that mission. God, that we might disagree, that we might have personality differences, but Lord, we are coming together to support, to care for each other, and to lock arms in the mission of God. God, I pray that us as a church, that we would lean into your spirit. And then the same way it empowered and emboldened the early church, it can empower and embolden us. That it can guide us. But I pray that we would lean into it, God, that we would spend time seeking out your will. Knowing what you have for us. I pray for people in this room who maybe are sitting in disagreement, who maybe are sitting in conflict. God, that you would humble their hearts and that you give them kindness and graciousness. God, to know that we can disagree and be on the same team. We're going to move into a time of invitation, and this time is really just for you to respond to how God is calling you. You may be a person that says, I, I don't know what God has for my life. I haven't heard from the Spirit, maybe ever. And maybe you just need to spend some time in prayer, starting that season of prayer where you just say to God, God, I'm yours. Whatever you lead me to do, I'll do. If that means going on mission, I'll go. If that means going into ministry, I'll go. If that means just being a godly person in my normal life, then I'll go. You may be a person that you have a hard time preaching the gospel and leaning on the word of God because you've never actually placed your faith in Christ. You've never actually lived out the gospel. And we'd love to walk you through that. We'd love to explain to you what the gospel is and, and how to place your faith in Christ. You may be a person that is sitting in disagreement and conflict and you just need to pray to the Lord for repentance on things that you've thought, things that you've said and where he wants you to go forward from here. Can we all stand together? We're going to stand and we're going to sing and, and again, this time is for you. However God is leading you to move, we encourage you to move.